0: morning's passage from Isaiah gives witness to what God does with death. What God first does with death is to let it happen. The people of Israel are facing an enormous death of their ideal of who they were as children of God. When the Babylonian armies routed them in Jerusalem in 597 and burned the temple down and killed and maimed many of them and enslaved many others and took them back to Babylon to serve as slaves. They had lost almost everything that they believed in, as well as the death of many of their members in all of 1st Isaiah through the first 39 chapters, or the prophet of Isaiah's words of prophecy saying, If Israel doesn't turn around and repent, then it's not going to end well. And as the prophet foresaw, it didn't. But then, 60 years later, when the people of Israel are in exile in Babylon, a second prophet rises up, known as Deutero-Isaiah, and and 60 years after that, he rings the bell of joy and new life through, in beginning, the 40th chapter that we all know well uh, from the Messiah, if nothing else. A voice cries out in the wilderness, what shall I cry? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain be brought low and uneven ground will become level and the rough places plain so that they may walk their way back to Israel and then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And what did the mouth of the Lord say? From this morning's text, the 43rd chapter of Isaiah, verses 41 through 21. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and break down all their bars. And the shouting of those Babylonian Chaldeans will be turned to lamentation. For I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea. Remember in the Exodus when God split the waters of the Red Sea, the Sea of Reeds, and brought dry land so the people of Israel could make their way from Egypt over to the Wilderness to make their way to the promised land. You remember the big Moses movie and the waves. He brought the waters still and dry land underneath them. In this case, he's doing the exact opposite. Thus says the Lord, He says, When I made a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters, and I brought out the chariot and the horse and the army and the warrior, they lie down, they were destroyed, the Egyptians. And they cannot rise, and they are extinguished and quenched like a wick. Remember those days? Then he says, forget about it. Do not remember the former things, or consider the things of old. For I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert... Instead of splitting the waters and bringing dry land, he's bringing the waters into the dry land. It's 180 degrees, completely opposite. And the wild animals will honor me, and the jackals and the ostriches, those weird animals, will honor me. For I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people and the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise." This is the word of the Lord. This morning I want to talk about hope. But to get there, we have to also confront the reality of the great existential barrier to hope. And to our own personal well-being. And that is death. Authentic hope springs from the wounds of our Vulnerability. Ultimate hope is grounded in what God does with the most vulnerable reality of all, death. At the risk of being blunt, our faith has to own up to the fact that death is basic biology. It is not sleep. It is infinitely more and deeper, and on this side of it, way darker. Everything that lives dies, except maybe the green algae in the St. John's River. Now, I know this is not particularly an upbeat way to begin a sermon, but it is lent, by the way, that time of personal and spiritual introspection when we're called to look more inward at ourselves to discover what is it really about us that motivates us to be who we are. And when we are most honest and introspective, most real with ourselves, we're always trying to negotiate our way around the inevitability of death. In fact, we contrive every possible way to distract us from that reality. From alcohol to affairs, from conspicuous consumption to facelifts and body trainers, and even lying about our age. When death so rudely breaks in, we try to camouflage it by throwing a sheet over it while we build more and more forest lawn cemeteries, evergreen cemeteries, and rest havens with angels and harps and benches for the spirits to sit on, and we are led during a Funeral service by the professional half-smiling clergy and undertakers to ease us through, and we want a Cadillac to carry our coffin, and we want rubber shock absorbers on our casket rollers. At the grave, we find imitation grass and flowers covering the mound of dirt, good, clean earth that is our destiny. We just want to cover it up. But at 4 o'clock in the morning, we cannot sleep. And the truth is, we most want to avoid this thing, and it sneaks up on us. And if not then, unmercifully, the phone rings, or there's a diagnosis, or through all the many other small deaths that we encounter in our lives, our divorces, and our losses, and our retirements, and all the other ways that we encounter this death, our egos, a thousand times our egos, we have to confront it. Wise people say that the ability to face death honestly and fairly lays the groundwork for our emotional and spiritual maturity. While living in denial of it, the Peter Pan syndrome is no way to live fully Living with it draped over our shoulders is no way to live fully either. We're not called to drink it every day, but we are called to acknowledge it. We're not called to look like we live in the Adams family, but we are called to know that it is always there. Let me say as an aside that one of the many blessings of this wonderful Riverside church One of the things I am so deeply grateful for is the way that this church owns up to the issue of death and funerals, the letters and caring responses, the grace through which you care for those who are grieving, the way you usher for funerals, and most especially the Presbyterian women and the hard, hard work you do to provide a hospitality presence, during our receptions. It is all we can do in an environment where you can't really do anything except to be present, to love, and to serve food. That is why, as a church, when we are most honest, death is always a part of our conversation, and why our faith at its heart comes down to what we believe about death and what we believe God does with it. By the way, as you've heard, we will have our fill of this this week for the memorial service for Charlie Ragsdale. And I will not be here. Irony of ironies is I will unfortunately be attending a conference in Atlanta, ironically, on death and dying and grief counseling. I am locked into it. The Association of Death Education Counselors. One of the things I'm thinking of doing some of when I leave Riverside. And I told John and Sally this, and they said, No problem, Hunter Camp, their really good friend, pastor at Memorial. Presbyterian and Carol DeGusto, other good friend, can do great job for me. And when I told Sally why I was not able to come that I was going to a association of death education counseling conference to get certified, she laughed the day after her son died and said, Well, I guess all of the counseling that you're about to sit down and give us doesn't really count then because you're not certified. Uncertified as a thanatologist, which is what it's called, but certified as a Christian pastor, the most powerful thing I can say to someone about death is that it does not have the last word. Death does not finish things, and there is no closure with death. It is God's finish and God's word and God's way of closure In the Bible, if there's anything true about that, it is in this morning's passage. It affirms the fact that when Israel thought they were most dead, God does a brand new thing and brings water into the dry, arid wilderness and lets them flourish enough to make their way back home. This is what God does with the reality of death. He confronts it. As he did in Jesus Christ. And then after letting it have its say, he speaks his last word. And the last word is resurrection. Into that vacuum of death, God speaks a last word of new life. Behold, I am doing a new thing, he says. And he says, take that death, all you have to offer, This is what I have, and that is, even in the face of death, I speak new life. Granted, the the vision to perceive this, you see, only comes through the eyes of faith. We cannot prove it. We have no idea what happens after death. We don't even know what happens through death. We have after-death experiences But we do have some people who think they know and they walk around telling everybody else that this is what you have to do or say in order to go to heaven. They don't know that. They don't know who goes to heaven and who doesn't. They seem to know, as someone said, what the temperature of heaven is and how the furniture is arranged. Nobody knows. Someone told me that their son had lost a really loving dog in their family and so the mom read to him the book All dogs go to heaven. And when that son came to school and shared that with her religious teacher, her religious teacher, I guess, trying to do the best thing, said, Oh, no. Oh, no. Dogs don't have souls. Take it from me. The Bible is clear. Everything in creation is in process of being redeemed by God. Everything that God has created, as Paul says, the whole creation groans with eager longing for the day that we will be redeemed by Jesus Christ. Everything that God has created will be redeemed by the last word of God. All of it. And the reality is in our deepest urge, the deepest part of us, we are always looking for that redemption in life because we know that we're still becoming redeemed. We are not saved, we are being saved. We are in process always, growing, 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 more God-like if we are living responsibly. And what that looks like, you see, is incarnate, Embodied in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the image of God made flesh, the same image of God that we have. And when we live fully and perfectly into that image, which we don't do in life, but we are on the road to it, when we live fully into that, we look like Jesus. And the promise is that death will not stop that process. That if we have not reached that process in life, then we will reach that process in death. This is God's redemptive good news. We're becoming. We're pilgrims. We're growing. We're learning. And one day we will finally see what it looks like. The Gospel of John begins his wonderful prelude saying, To everyone who took him in, (parentheses once and for all, as if to keep him forever, in them did he release once and for all the power to go on becoming godlike. And I would like to say that whether we take God in or not, the good news is that God takes us in and that one day, in life or in death, we will perceive this good news and finally see who we are and whose we are. And our faith, which is simply the lens through which we can conceive of this or perceive of this, is always in process of becoming full of doubt as well as full of joy. And it is simply a process moving toward God's promise that God has the last word. It's happening now. I mean, an alcoholic bottoms out and gets sober. Uh, a A divorced couple decides to take the high road and, and not a war of the roses. Two brothers who have been estranged from each other for 30 years decide for some reason that they're tired of that and they reconcile. These moments of perfection break in on us all over the place and with the lens of faith we can see it happening. Wellness happens, healing happens. It's a mystery. It's beyond our imagination but this perfection of the kingdom of God is breaking in on us even now as it did for those exiled people in Babylon if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear we hear God's clarion call I am the alpha I am the omega and nothing will separate us you from my love.